0: Hello, Monetization Nation. Dave Rose and his team build custom revenue engines for companies around the world. He's the author of Overcoming the 15 Categories of Rejection. In this episode, we'll talk with Dave about rejection and how we can overcome it. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you,
1: Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's start off with home runs. Can you tell me what is the greatest home run you've hit in your career?
1: Oh, okay. Um, So I would kind of refer to a couple of home runs and a grand slam so I'll give okay, you three quick perfect. examples um, so with the with the first story the home run was um, helping when I really knew that I was on to something with developing my Renaissance methodology um, I started helping a small tax advising company um, that had developed a software because they were into this you know hey hmm, we want to be able to get recurring revenue they had developed a software for helping businesses do their accounting proprietary right there's a lot of those but this was theirs and from scratch from taking about a million three revenue company pretty small about a million three to over 17 million in two years by their third year 17 million to me that was a home run and the secret there came from just creating a discipline every day to um, find more buyers. We just, instead of focusing on the sales, we focused on adding more qualified buyers into the database and we put good content on it. It sounds simple like, oh, what's it gotta be more to it than that, but that, that's where I knew that was a home run.
0: How did you find those, those people?
1: Finding the identifying is always engine part number two of any revenue engine that we build or the experience engine, that's always a part of it. So we build, I say CPR saves lives. We've all heard of that, but in business it's CRP, consistent repeatable processes saves and grows a business. You need a CRP, consistent repeatable processes process for all the business, but where businesses, the fortune 500, the startups, the $20 million company, the 2 million, where they're all going wrong, mostly 80 plus percent of them is going wrong is right here, engine part number two, your question, identifying more buyers. How did we do it? We created a process around it. We made it a metric for the business development people and marketing people to be measured on how many qualified names they were adding. We just started asking people to build the qualified names. You know, Sure, you can't go out and buy a perfect list. 60% of it is probably erroneous. You have to work this. And even if a genie, the I dream of genie, Uh, popped out of the lamp and we said, give us the perfect database, it would be eroding 24 hours later. You have to always be working at that. We created a process of outbound calls to set up meetings and clarify the data combined with email campaigns and people always clarifying that data and anybody touching the market being accountable for adding it. Sounds like, oh man, that's a lot. But if you get that right, you're going to make a lot of money with the rest of it.
0: So it's about consistency, setting up the processes and setting up the system to measure the the outcomes and the inputs of that process. Now tell me about your Grand Slam.
1: All right, the Grand Slam um, is what I call um, the uh, turnaround for recurring revenue. Um, Took a company called Ameriflex, um, owner William Short, CEO. He has a few different businesses. Brilliant. This CEO, this entrepreneur is brilliant. You would love him. I should probably introduce you to him. Great conversations. Um, Younger fellow. um, So me who uh, proud to admit, I turned 49 uh, here in a couple of weeks. Um, This gentleman, I'm, you know, in his thirties. Right. And he's blowing up big business, coming up with ideas to help with healthcare all kinds of things are working out. Getting to work with him in one of his organizations that had four years of declining sales and turning that around in 10 months to million dollars of revenue growth, recurring revenue. That was a recent grand slam where I was asked to be a chief revenue officer along with some of my consulting team and do a turnaround. And generally, you don't take four years of this and turn it around in 10 months under a year, especially to something that's gener- starting to generate millions and millions more loved that outfit. Just loved everything about it. And that had a lot to do really with the engine part 2, identifying those buyers and getting more quality sales process on there. We sharpened up our sales team. Um, we were we were just, you know, known as the experts. And that moved the ball. So that was a grand slam. Big money, big quick.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. All right, tell me about your book.
1: Oh, thank you for asking. Um, Overcoming the 15 categories of rejection. What? (laughs) Who names their book all of that? There was a lot of sexy names on the list, but at the end of the day, it's an odd subject, and I just call it what it is. Um, Nobody has ever categorized rejection, Nathan. It just hadn't happened. Um, there's lots of books around persuasion and great books about overcoming, you know, being told no and rejection, being more powerful with these kinds of skills, but no one had ever categorized it. Um, I was going to speak for, um, for a crowd, an Oracle crowd, uh, many moons ago. I said, what do you want me to talk about? And they go, executive crowd and sales, you know, I don't know something about rejection. No problem. I jump online. Let me just get the categories of rejection. Not there. Go to the library. I wish I knew her name. Shame on me. This, the, this was the quintessential librarian. She had the beehive, the horn rim glasses. She was there to help me. And I said, I want to know the categories of rejection, mm-hmm. try the computer. Nope. Uh, she gets another gentleman. We go and we're pulling drawers, maybe Dewey decimal system. And we're like categories of rejection, uh, sir. Don't know. I go, uh, I happen to be advising the uh, university of North Texas with their, their Dean going and I And I asked the Dean like Jeff, um, you need the categories of rejection. You're a marketing dean for 20 years. What is this? He's, I don't know what you're talking about. He whistles down the hallway. That's how professors come. They all storm in. They close the door. I'm cornered. And they're like, what do you need? You're What's up? Categories of rejection. One of the professors says, oh, you're looking for the typology of rejection. And I'm like, what? He's like, typology categories up, David types up. I'm like, thanks for the new word. (laughs) I love your professor attitude. It's great. Um, I guess I am. And he's like, nobody's ever discovered that. How would you do it? Took 10 years, Nathan. Fast forward 10 years of studying in 22 countries to be able to say, I've categorized rejection and name the categories and help people overcome them. Yeah. I had no idea that was going to be how the book came about, Um, but that's what's happened. And it's changing people's lives. The stories I get, um, some of them um, make my allergies flare up, if you know what I mean. So.
0: so tell me, what are the categories of rejection and how do you overcome them?
1: All right. I'm going to give you a few. Well, I'll tell you what. Mind, blaker, mind, mind blocks, the first one, mind blocks. That was a very hard category to uncover because you know that uh, money or monetary exchange of some sort is a category, a source of yes or no. I don't have enough money to buy a $50 million house. Uh, No, not even in the ballpark. Or you understand that exchanging monetary is easy. People get that, that's a source. But what people miss is mind blocks, is a source of rejection. It stops people from even trying, or maybe has them try haphazardly. Like, you know, Nathan, I know you're not gonna say yes, but can I borrow your car? That's, that's a no. So, And there's mind blocks in the audience's mind. This has been the most powerful where we've helped CEOs and companies change. Mind blocks is the first category of rejection. Um, decision makers is the second category. Most people aren't even talking to the right. They're, they're walking away rejected. They're trying to get somewhere in life and their trajectory is dampened and they weren't even dealing with the right decision makers. That was something that was overlooked for a while as an actual category of rejections. You know, In, in sophisticated cells, you know, get the decision maker, but out there in every walk of life, it's like you're asking mom to borrow the car on Friday night, but you know, it's dad's decision or you're asking dad and it's mom's decision. You gotta know. So mind blocks and decision makers. First two, likability is the third. Quick story on that. Um, I was speaking a few years ago before we had published the book told the audience what i was trying to do i'm almost there i said um you know be happy to take questions a lady comes up at the end and says love is a category did you get that and i was like well actually i'm glad you came here let's talk a few people gather around we're talking and i say love is not a category she's like if you don't say love's a category then you've never figured it out and i said well we figured that the third category of rejection is likability and i just asked her have you ever loved someone well yes have you hated that person yes you saw how, that, how that's on a scale. So we call it likability on a scale, maybe in the neutral middle to love, to hate, however you want to look at it. But likability is a category of rejection that encompasses love. It, that's the category. We've been able to show that, make it make sense, talk about it in academia, lecture it in colleges, take it out to businesses. And we use likability, which sells people, no, I need to be liked as a category. And we train on that. Credibility, Performance are the next two, those are the top five. Um, interest is its own category. Needs and wants are a category combined. Why are needs and wants one category and not separate? Because people will make decisions based on their needs just as equally as they will on their on their wants. So needs and wants are combined in a category. Those are some of the top categories. Um, I'll tell you, um, one of the most powerful categories I didn't mention is the goal shot or the close is in asking for what you want. Most people think they're rejected, but they never really tried to get what they want or ask, you know, hey, I didn't go to medical school or become a lawyer or an accountant or a dentist, you know, because... I didn't have the money for school. Um, So there's a combination of money. There's a combination of a mind block. There might've been a combination of not asking for what you wanted. So you can analyze a situation and find multiple categories of rejection impacting a situation. And when you study it, you can start to remove those categories of rejection and get a lot more in life. Um, It just works for sales, for leaders, for a relationship.
0: Okay. So let's talk about entrepreneurs who are building businesses. These categories of rejection are important because it helps them in their sales efforts. It might be the the obstacles that they have to overcome to to motivate someone to buy their product. Uh, How else could uh, these categories of rejection and understanding them benefit the entrepreneur?
1: Well, um, you named... Money and great salient points around, you know, sales and dollars. And maybe you could get into brand and awareness, Mm -hmm. you could expand it. But to really answer your question, sometimes the not so obvious with this is rapport, culture, morale, employee relations, using it for how people interact and work together. Um, Oftentimes they're hitting up against one another. And as you know, the classic, which Renaissance methodology helps solves is their silos in the company. This is our team and this is our team and we do this and you can't come over here in this circle. And that's a communication and a rejection issue and helping people understand how to communicate and how to get what they need from one another and overcome the rejections with one another and the, the teams and the silos and the departments is very transmogrifying for a business because you find that it starts to impact the short term the morale, and then you're going to impact culture and you can get a consistent repeatable process in there how to communicate, which Renaissance does. Um, And we use overcoming rejection in how we set up communication process.
0: Let's talk about that Renaissance methodology. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the core premise behind that book?
1: Sure. Um, I'd actually written that book or manuscript um, back around 2001, but it's developed along the way. Um, it was my way of coming from an operational consulting background, working with billion dollar companies at the leadership level and implementing change management at their front line, and then being a salesperson selling consulting. I took selling and operations and blended them into Renaissance. I call it revenue operations. It's Renaissance methodology, it's the way to create behavior change by going about building your own custom revenue engine from that. The plan, to engine part number two, we talked about identifying more buyers to engine part three, the CRM they go in. And we customize that per company. Renaissance is where we re-engineer the plan. We energize the people. We nominate the champions to make it happen. We apply an integrated selling service, which is the modes to market, the marketing for the lead generation. And we accelerate the plan. We negate the barriers and we know they're gonna be people in process and resistance change. We set up a communication. C and renaissance a vertical regimented communication where we keep the ceo has to be engaged every week in the project or else it's going to fail we communicate all departments through to the prospects to the customers and we cycle this information over and over so everybody is understanding what we're talking about to grow revenue and create a wow customer experience i get everybody on the same page of Well, we want to make more money, but everybody does. We're going to have to create a wow customer experience and identify more prospects and communicate with them and do a great job with them. We build the people and process to do that. That's what renaissance is. And we evolve it through metrics. We create dashboards. I developed a theory called the theory of Accelerance to measure individual critical tasks people do to make experience great for the customers. And we measure that at an individual level and then at a team level so that a person in a company is being measured to be a, to make people feel great individually. But then I'm on a team and we're measured on how we make customers feel great. An individual and a team performance creates a psychological boost. And then all of a sudden you're competitive. You're trying to show everybody, hey, we can help do this. You get a culture that becomes wow client experience or i'm working with some doctors so that's wow patient experience renaissance builds wow patient experience through changing the way people work inside of the company and then we grow revenues through it we talk a
0: lot about passion and connecting with our customers through passion that's one of the tectonic shifts we feel is is changing the landscape of business today and so i like to start off by asking people what are you passionate about
1: i was talking to a rock star speaker um, who saw me speak. And this person said, when I'm asked on a plane, what I do, it's sexy. I just tell them I help companies build rock stars. I'm like, I love that. I love that. I just, Oh, that's hot. They're like, but what you do isn't sexy. Do you hear it? You build revenue engines and the customer experience. And I'm like, yeah. And, and it hurt. It hurt man. For a couple weeks, it hurt. And then I realized I was like, yeah, but we sell millions of dollars worth of this stuff every year. I mean, it works. And we've had those, some of those stories I've shared and many more. My passion is building revenue engines and that's not really sexy. And, and if you just say that it doesn't, it, it, you know, it's kind of confusing to people in a way. Right. So I don't care anymore. My passion is I build revenue engines. It's not something I can just really explain quickly. Um, you know, because CEOs, if I just say, hey, it does this and this, it more revenue, greater customer experience, that's buzzwords. What is it, you know, you got to really explain. And I don't make any apologies for that anymore. I like building revenue engines for my own companies and for my clients.
0: And <laughs> you've admitted your guilty pleasure. Um, you don't have to feel bad about this. So part of our methodology is finding out what people really want the most what's driving their lives and then help them get that and if you go to the ceo who is your target customer and you you identify what is it that the ceo wants the most he wants more revenue he wants more profits he wants growth of his business he doesn't want more rock stars i mean fine he'll take rock stars he doesn't he's not opposed to rock stars he'll take them but he cares about rock stars because they help him make more money, right? Because they drive that revenue and that monetization. So I think the number one passion of your target audience is is generating more revenue. I think you are doing the thing your target audience wants the most. And they may be able to spin it and tell a story better, but I think you're providing the most valuable thing that your target audience is most passionate about. Who is the best digital monetizer you know? Oh, this this gets
1: sometimes just bringing this up gets a lot of flack from people, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go I, I call Elon Musk the greatest. Yeah. I, I think I just an amazing do
0: digital monetizer, an amazing I just, monetizer and overall.
1: Some of the clients I've worked with, I don't know why, um really have a, a disliking toward him, and um, some were making the monies on shortness stock, you know. In time, um, a few of those um, lost for sure shirt when yeah. he just spiked up to the eight hundred dollar range, you know. Yeah. Tesla did, but um, there's some brilliance to this, to me, um, crazy comparison. But I think of taking a lot of what uh, what a Donald Trump has in potential of notoriety and big ideas and. Um, and an audience, um, and you take an Elon, and he does it right. He he does it right. And I'm not um, subscribing to any political, um, you know, yeah. side ideology one way or another. I'm just saying, you know, there's a little bit of of a, of a similarity to me in terms of the platforms they have and what they can do, and comparing them. And then Elon takes this to another level. And from the digital side, I mean, you know, a master. So cliche, but the man deserves the ranking.
0: <laughs> yeah, he does. He's, he's yeah. done some amazing things. Did you know, this is a little known story about him that when the internet was very young, he went to one of the CEOs of, of one of the top yellow page companies and he tried to sell him on a deal of, of uh, Elon wanted to put the yellow pages online and The CEO of that company took his big, huge, thick yellow pages and threw it at Elon and said, do you think you're ever going to replace this with the internet? (laughs) And uh, he didn't agree to do it. Can you imagine if he would have taken that deal? And uh, that's an example of a tectonic shift, the shift from yellow pages to search Mm -hmm. engine. And uh, maybe Elon Musk would have would have controlled business search engines or something, if they would have been able to put that, that deal together early on, maybe That's, the yellow pages would still be relevant.
1: You know, you got to ask that question. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a story, you know, there's some documented stories, well-documented, you know, from Netflix to blockbusters early days, you know, when, mm-hmm. um, when the CEOs, you know, meet up. Right. And um, there's a discussion, but there's a, sort of a. I, I, think it's i think it's more than legend you know ceo of blockbusters going early on prior to that meeting you know hearing that they're asking to take a meeting with him and he's like what's a netflix okay well it's the thing that's going to kind of shut you down (laughs) That's going to take what seemed monolithic and you know shrink it down to to carbon dust um so you know from that example you know that's that set that changed digital monetization in many ways and um who knows what would have happened had that had been different as well um maybe you wouldn't have got a billion dollars plugged into new original programming every year for our viewing entertainment
0: and blockbuster could have so easily been the digital streaming platform like they had all the resources they had the relationships it, it would have been so easy for them to do it and uh and they didn't take advantage that tectonic shift happened, you know, that massive earthquake and it destroyed and put that company out of business. And, and if they just would have been the first mover, one of the first movers in that digital space, they would have had the recurring revenue. They would have had the digital distribution platform, multiple tectonic shifts they could have leveraged so easy in, in hindsight to look back and. And the flip side of that is it's not just what those big companies are doing wrong, but it's the opportunity, like you said, that it pre- that it presents for people like us. And a lot of times people like us think that there, there isn't a way for us to compete with those well-established, well-funded, you know, huge brand, you know, behemoths that are out there. But all we have to do is find that tectonic shift. We have to find that disruption that almost by definition, the big companies are not going to do an effective job at quickly adapting in in an effective way. And and we need to jump on that and build our business around that. And that's our best strategy to beat the well-funded established.
1: Yes, breakthroughs come from, you know, a small group of individuals, but it can come from anyone. And you need to set your company up to believe that it can come from anyone. Sounds like some, um, you know, some sort of, Fantasy land to make that happen, but you can do that with the right system, and that's what leaders need to work on: is creating a system that anybody here can make something amazing happen. I mean, Flaming Hot Cheetos, you know that story. Um, the, the inventor, Flaming it's Hot great. Cheetos. Um, yeah. Um, so essentially, it came from a fellow who you know was working more as a custodian inside of the corporation. Um, came up with the idea, took to heart. Um, a message the CEO sent out saying um, I believe anybody can have a good idea and I'll pay for it. Hey, just any, everybody's ideas, flaming hot Cheetos. Uh, Yeah. That guy ended up becoming an executive (laughs) inside a corporation, you know, which is PepsiCo corporation. And um, last I saw his net worth is uh, millions of dollars. So let everybody create. It's good. It's good.
0: Creating a culture that not only encourages that, but, but rewards that that's that's brilliant advice thank you so much dave for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today here's some of my key takeaways from this episode number one sometimes our journeys will take us in unexpected directions as with dave's book like he did we can turn the unexpected into something great number two mind blocks happen when people don't even try to ask for what they want number three we must make sure we are asking the right decision makers Number four, likability is a scale that encompasses love. Number five, there can be a combination of categories of rejection impacting a story. This is why it is important to identify each of them so we can overcome each of them. Number six, when we're facing competition from large, well-established companies, we can often leverage tectonic shifts more quickly than they can, and that may present an opportunity to leapfrog the competition. Number seven, we should set up our companies so that anybody can make something amazing happen. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Dave or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn, uh, and there's a link to his LinkedIn page on the blog post for this episode. You can also uh, get a copy of his book at 15cor.com, and you can find out about his consulting services at clevelglobal.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. And three, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. How has overcoming rejection helped you and your business? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you strive to overcome rejection. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.